Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I am Matt Prame. Eric Scopel is on the show as always. Eric, how are you doing on this fine, fine Friday morning? I'm doing all right, Matt. I, uh, I'm really excited to, to move on from the Auburn game, and that's hopefully what this... Well, I, I, don't, I don't. Do you want to dwell on it more? We can spend another... Maybe they'd like to listen to us talk for 40 more minutes about Auburn. Um, <laughs> so I, think, I don't think we've exhausted it at all. I think there's some things that happen on special teams that they'd love to... No. Oh, yeah, um, you and your special teams. You've got all that about, on lockdown. I'm all about my specialists. No, uh, no, I'm excited to move on to, to Nevada, and, and that's what this podcast is going to do. We're going to be looking at Nevada for the entirety of it and, and, and making some predictions and stuff. But um, excited about the possibility of home football at Autzen Stadium. I think that's always one of my favorite parts of the year is that first Saturday in September where the Ducks play at home and in front of the crowd, and there's the excitement and I think basically always win that game. And we'll talk about the reality or the possibility of that later in the show of that happening. But just excited to, again, move from what was a deflating Auburn game. And I'm sure the fan base and the team is excited to move on from that as well. Yeah, the Ducks will be playing a Saturday night. Official kickoff is set for 4.45 p.m. Saturday, September 7th from Odson Stadium. Uh, game is going to be on the Pac-12 networks with Roxy Bernstein and Anthony Heron uh, doing – the play-by-play and the analyst work, Lewis Johnson will be your sideline reporter. And then uh, if you don't get the Pac-12 network, and unfortunately there's probably going to be a large chunk of you Duck fans that are listening to this that don't, you can catch the game on the radio with Jerry Allen, Mike Jorgensen, Joey McMurray, and Terry Johns uh, on the Oregon IMG Sports Network. And Oregon will look to extend its streak of consecutive wins over non-conference opponents at home to 24 when it hosts Nevada. Uh, in the season opener, the Ducks are 6-1 and one all-time in this series, and the last time that they played came in 2011, which Eric also happened to be a home opener for Oregon, and also the second game of the season following uh, a loss at AT&T Stadium as well in Arlington, yep. Texas. <laughs> so, I was going to uh, say, there's, there's, yeah, interesting stuff there, and we should mention, after they won that game, they won like 10 straight games, so maybe this is the trend. Maybe every, what, eight years, they lose to an SEC team in Dallas, and they come home and they beat Nevada, and then they win 10 in a row. You know? Yeah, maybe, that'd be great. That's, that's the formula, right? I think I think, I think think people are taking that, right? I, I, I would hope so. I would hope nobody's <laughs> disappointed by winning 10 straight games. Obviously, last week was disappointing, but it's not a bad start to a season. Yeah, Oregon was, uh, 13th in 2011 in the country. They won 69 to 20, um, in, in that football contest. And quite frankly, um, there haven't been a lot of games that have been close between these two, these two teams. I mean, in 2003, they played in Eugene, uh, and the Ducks won by 8, 31 to 23. But then in 2000, they played, they won by 29 points. In 1999, they played again, and Oregon won by 62 points. Uh, the Ducks won by four in Reno in uh, 1997, and they won by 14 again in 1996 in Eugene. Uh, and the only time Nevada has won came back uh, all the way back in 1947 when Nevada won 13-6. to So not a lot of history between these two teams, even though that they're relatively close to each other, which is kind of surprising. Um, but you know, the Ducks have, have been able to, to win some football games and, and, and most recently do it by, you know, a lot of points and the, they come in with a streak of six and zero. Oh. Um, but at the same time, Eric, I, I think there's going to be, at least for me, there's going to be in this Nevada game, especially in the first quarter, that first half, 
what does Oregon's psyche look like? What does their emotions look like? Are they going to have any kind of a hangover from this Auburn game? Because so much was built up about going down to Dallas, beating the Auburn Tigers, winning it for the Pac-12, positioning Oregon into a spot where they're in the college football playoff discussion, being that, you know, prized team of the Pac-12. So much was, was made of that externally from the program. And I'm sure in, internally there was a lot said of, of going down there and winning that football game and what it would mean for the program. And then they, they went out and lost in the last nine seconds. There's going to be, in my opinion, some concern of what does this team's psyche look like coming into a, a Nevada game where, you know, let's be honest, it's not as, it doesn't carry as much juice as playing Auburn. Yeah, I always think you learn more from a team after a loss than after a win. And I think that first half against Nevada, who, as we'll talk about throughout their show, is, I think, sneaky pretty good. Like, they're not, when we made our preseason predictions, we kind of wrote this one off, but this is a Nevada team that won eight games last year. They beat Purdue last week. Um, they beat Oregon State and Arizona a season ago. Not that those are, you know, banner teams from the Pac-12, but obviously Arizona did beat Oregon in the most dominating fashion last year, so there was a common opponent there. Um, but I think you're going to learn a lot in this first half because Oregon should have won that football game, and I think they're aware of that, and they know that. And I think there's probably some frustration and disappointment, especially with some of these younger players, and it's a team that has a lot of veterans, but it also is a team that does rely upon a lot of freshmen and sophomore, uh, sophomores. So uh, how do those guys handle, again, what has to be a really devastating outcome last week? Not just because it was a loss, but because of how it transpired. Or, you know, Obviously, we, we've talked about that a lot, but I mean, have to think of, be hard to think of many games that are, are more heartbreaking that Oregon has lost in the last decade um, than that one. And uh, how does it look? And so, yeah, I, I think there should be concern about the possibility of a letdown. At the same time, I'm more expecting them to come out and and really want to show what they can do because I think for two and a half, maybe three quarters, in Arlington, you saw a really, really good football team. Um, offensively, they, they looked great in that first quarter. Defensively, I thought they played really well for basically three full quarters. I think there's a lot of motivation to show that the team you saw early in that game is the team that this is going to be going forward, not the one that over the final quarter and a half gave up a 21-6 lead and ended up losing a, a heartbreaker. Um, I, I'm expecting to see a team come out and, and really try to put it on Nevada. And that's why, while, while I think Nevada's a really good team, or I shouldn't say a really good team, but I think Nevada's a pretty good team, better team than I think we thought coming into the season, um, I would not be at all shocked if Oregon comes out and plays really, really well early, puts this game on ice earlier than a lot of people expect, and, and walks out of Austin Stadium with a game where, I mean, the line's 23 and a half, I think, right now. That's pretty substantial, but where they win by, you know, more than that, and maybe by a, a wide margin more than that. I just wouldn't be shocked at all if that's what happens. Because I think this team has to be motivated from based upon what happened last week. And if they're not, the flip side of that is, uh-oh, if they can't handle a, a devastating loss like that, and they come out and they lay, lay an egg in this game, and I think they'd probably still win. Maybe they win a really tight game. Then I think you start to be really concerned about how they're going to play, you know, in some of these Pac-12 games where, where the stakes are even higher. So um, I'm expecting them to come out. I don't think there's going to be a huge letdown effect, but if there is, I think that's cause for some, some major concern, and that will be the first time, you know, it's a very short season, but that would be my first kind of sign of, 
oh, this is maybe something we need to worry a little bit more about than, than even I thought after that Auburn loss. Yeah, those are those are good points. Um, I, I this team, I think, I mean, their leaders for the most part are all seniors, right? Right. So I I, I would think that I would hope that this team has the the mental fortitude to kind of get past that loss, flush it, and come out and and play with quite honestly some anger and and win this football game uh, and. And, and, and do it in a fashion that they're expected to. I mean, 24 points is a lot of points. I mean, I know Nevada's, you know, Oregon should have the better talent by, you know, going away, you know, on both sides of the football. But still, 24 points is is a lot of points. I mean, that's more points than Oregon scored against Auburn. You know, 21. I mean, so, I mean, obviously, uh, Auburn is a big step down, or is a big step up from who Nevada is, but same time, I mean, Nevada went open the season, uh, against Purdue and, and won 34 31 in a game where at, at one point, you know, it was 31 to 17 in the third quarter and going into the fourth quarter and, or, and, and Nevada came back with a redshirt freshman quarterback to win the football game. I mean, Nevada scored 17 points in the final seven minutes of the game to win that football game, which is just nuts. They scored 10 in the last 52 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> which is even more crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, this this Nevada team's shown that they can score quickly. And, I mean, I, I, I just think I, – I think this game is probably when, – when it was scheduled, it was viewed as um, – an automatic win for Oregon. And, you know, I, and I, I hate to say must wins, but this kind of has that feel to it, right? That, you know, if Oregon wants to have the season that they envisioned at the start of the season, they can't lose this game. Oh, yeah, no question. This would be a disaster of a loss. If they start out 0-2 and, and, and enter conference play at 1-2, because I still think they'd beat Montana the following week, um, that would be... Awful. I mean, that would be the worst possible scenario in my mind in terms of, like, I don't think it was on really anyone's radar, like you said, that Oregon would lose to Nevada. If they come out in this game and they don't show up and Nevada takes advantage of maybe sloppy play or Oregon looks disinterested or still hung up on the Auburn loss and they're and they're 0-2 after two games, yeah, that's awful. And, and then you really start to feel some heat probably with, you know, maybe some of the coaching staff. It becomes really real because that's a disaster of weight. And obviously it doesn't. In, you know, impact the chance of winning a conference championship, but that's a really, really tough way to start a season. If you start 0-2, it's a lot to expect you to go out and win a conference after you start with two straight losses, especially a game against Nevada where, like you said, top to bottom, Oregon has the better talent, and I think right. Nevada, Nevada would say the same thing too. All right, let's go to um, some some stuff we could see of an, uh, from adjustments from week one to week two for Oregon. I think maybe the most encouraging one and and the one that's been most discussed by us and and by Oregon's fan base certainly uh is Marcus Arroyo's comments after Tuesday's practice when he said that you know he was asked a question about you know did, did they feel like they took enough advantage you know enough chances downfield throwing the football did they feel comfortable with what they did there and he said that 
and I'm paraphrasing here, but he he said that if he could if he could he probably would have not been as protective uh, of Oregon's younger receivers against Auburn, and in his words, cut it loose, cut the offense loose a little bit more. And I interpreted that as him coming out and saying that, you know, they they probably in hindsight would have wished they would have attempted more downfield passes, taken more chances, taken more risks, be a bit more aggressive with their passing game. And and look, you can say, you know, there's a lot of fans out there that are not happy with Oregon's offense, and I, I see why that would be the case. But you also have to understand that they went into that football game Without their best receiver in Jawan Johnson, without a, a potential starter in, in Brendan Schooler, a projected starter, without maybe the guy who had the best fall camp in Micah Pittman, uh, and then they were also down two other freshman receivers, Lance Wilhoyt and um, Jarrah Waters, two players. You know, so you're you're down five guys that were four of which were expected to show up at Oregon and instantly push for playing time and push. The, the wide receiver unit to get better and make an impact right away. And you're without all of those guys. And yeah, you have Jalen Red and you have Johnny Johnson and you have Jake, you know, Jacob Breland at tight end and those three guys have played a lot of football, but you can't play a game against Auburn with, you can't play a game against anybody with three receivers or tight ends. You have to rotate guys in and they were very, very safe. I think, I think that's yep. a very fair statement to say. And, I think my my complaint would be that they they you know at some point you just have to say who cares we're we're young this is the hand that we're dealt we need to try and 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 be aggressive and and it sounds like you know in retrospect and I think it takes a lot of courage too for Arroyo to come out and say that is hey we probably should have been a bit more aggressive and we're going to moving forward yeah I, I was impressed that he came out and said that i was i was shocked yeah i was a little surprised maybe but i think i I agree i think it took some courage to come out and say that and of course the response on social media and our message boards and and everything else was not particularly positive to that because i guess in today's day and age second guessing or questioning or or reflecting upon how something went um and then and 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 maybe posing some sort of remorse or, or, or or decision maybe didn't go the way you wanted it to is seen as weakness or something but that was sort of what the narrative was and one thing we should say is this Nevada defense if, if you're gonna you could throw on this defense I mean uh Purdue's Elijah Sindelar had 425 yards and four touchdowns against this defense last week um they scored all their touchdowns through the air they yeah we should mention Purdue only ran for about 95 yards and at three yards a carry so this Nevada front is pretty decent and we'll get to some of that in a minute but this does feel like a game where Justin Herbert could have a huge game here, and if you can trust your wide receivers, which it sounds like they're going to in this one, and kind of unleash them and let them go, I could see a game here where, where Herbert has just a, a monster game and the receivers play at a really high level. And I really hope we see that. I, I you know, um, I really hope this is a game where Arroyo lives up to that and they do unleash some of these young guys. Let's let's see more of Spencer Webb, who I thought looked great in the game. Let's see some of Brian Addison, who. We didn't see much of, and Josh Delgado, who, who, two guys who we've heard a lot about all fall and, and, and even in the spring about their progression and their ability to be impact players. Let's see if a guy like, uh, Isaiah Crocker or, or JJ Tucker, who've been kind of buried in the depth chart, if they can, you know, in, be involved in the passing game. Let's see what David Davis, who just got moved over from defense again, what he can do. Let's see two other names here of, uh, that are probably familiar names here. Patrick Herbert and Matt Mariota. Their brothers are pretty good quarterbacks. Um, or two guys that Marcus Arroyo also mentioned as possible players to, to fill in at wide receiver and play roles. Let's see what those guys can do. You know, um, 
because I think there's a lot more margin for error in this one. You know, last week against Auburn, I kind of understand getting conservative a little bit because you figure if you throw it out there and Brian Addison or somebody drops a pass or it bounces off their hands and it gets picked off by Auburn and it goes the other way, that could have flipped the game. And now this week is going, gosh, why, why were they so aggressive throwing the football? And that's the, you know, that's, that's the way things work sometimes. So I sort of understand that. But in this game here where I think Oregon has the better talent and should be able to win fairly handily, they should be as, I think they should be aggressive. I think they should open it up. I think we should see a little bit more of what we saw in that first quarter against Auburn where they did throw it downfield a little bit more. I, I fully expect that. And I'm, again, I'm hopeful that we see that and that, you know, they go out and have a really good game offensively and the, and the narrative of they need to fire a Royal or a Royal stinks goes to, Oh, maybe that first game was just a situation where, you know, they were, they chose to be a little too conservative, but this offense can be what we saw against Nevada. I'm, I'm hoping that's what happens because Frankly, it gets, it gets tiring to hear this. And frankly, if, if they don't come out and play very well, uh, maybe some of those concerns become, you know, maybe that validates some of these concerns about Arroyo to a certain extent. I still don't think all of the criticism is, is fair or, or just that's been kind of thrown his way. Um, but like you said, there's some extenuating circumstances with the wide receiver position. So I'm hopeful that what he said on Tuesday about opening things up and trusting those guys is, is what we see on Saturday against this Nevada defense, which like I said, doesn't seem like it's, you know, a top-tier defense, at least against the pass. Like, I think Oregon State's receiving core is pretty good, but I don't think they're top three or four on the conference, and I don't think Jake Luton, that quarterback for the Beavers, is a very good quarterback. And this Oregon State team last year, and I understand it's it's apples to oranges a little bit here, but right. last year against Nevada, the Beavers threw for 459 yards and five touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah, like, you can throw on this team. Like, there's an opportunity there for this team, you know, for Oregon with Justin Herbert, who's maybe the the, the number one quarterback on the board, if not top three. I mean, you, I think you can fairly say that, like, you know, confidently, that you have this elite talent at quarterback, and even though you've got some, un, you know, unproven guys, just maybe just see what they can do. See, you know, I, I think there needs to be, and it's, it's difficult because we don't know all the play calls. We don't know the progressions with, you know, that Herbert's supposed to go through or the routes that receivers are supposed to run. But, you know, I, I feel like we, I want to see a game where the, the Ducks coaching staff takes the approach of if we make a mistake, who cares? Exactly. Like, let's see what Justin Herbert can do as a gunslinger. Like, go out there and let's see Herbert throw the ball you know, 45 times in a game and 15 of those passes or 20 of those passes are of the variety that go 15 or more yards down the field through the air. You know, let's, let's take some deep shots and see what happens. You know, you've got Spencer Webb, um, a guy that's six foot six, that's a huge body. And we saw what he did against Auburn. Let's see what he can do with some jump balls thrown his way. Let's see what Brian Addison can do. If Jawan Williams plays, let's see what he can do with some jump balls thrown his way. You know, let's let's take some shots. You know, I, I think Oregon's offensive line, they get a ton of credit for being very, very good in the run game, but I think they're even better in the pass game. Like, Herbert hardly gets touched. I mean, he was hardly pressured uh against Auburn. I mean, yeah, there was pressure there, but it took a long time to, for it to happen. Agreed. And Nevada's defense is going to be nowhere near as talented on paper as Auburn. So I think I'd I'd like to see 
just I'd like to see them take some risks and if Herbert throws an interception or if he throws two interceptions or if he throws three interceptions, I live with it. And and let's just see what happens when you know they take a lot of chances and they play ultra aggressive because he's very good pinpoint accuracy. He can throw guys wide open and he's got a very good deep ball. And, and who knows? Maybe yeah, maybe Herbert does throw two interceptions. But maybe he connects on six or seven of, of those deep balls and three or four of them go for touchdowns. I mean, I, I, that's a fair trade-off in my mind. Yeah, and we should mention that this game is really the last game that's going to be against a, a fairly competitive opponent before they play Stanford. And I think you want to start to show what you can do. I think you want to see what you can do and, and see what this receiving core can do because not to not to drag too much on Montana, the next opponent they play, but that's a game that Oregon should win handily and it shouldn't be competitive. And if that game's competitive, then you really start to worry. But this is a game again, like this is the week I think to really just see what you got. Let's go for it. Let's 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 be aggressive. Let's let's see what we can do. And you know, I know they probably feel a little bit handcuffed at wide receiver um, for the reasons we discussed, but like that doesn't mean that they still have talented guys on the team. I mean, yeah. they're, they're not without talent. They might be unproven, but let's let's go out and see what they can do. Let's see what they let's go let them have a chance to prove themselves. And especially now at home, you know, obviously a more friendly environment and uh, in a game that isn't expected to be as close where every snap won't be, you know, I mean, against Auburn, you make one mistake in that game and it could change the tide of the whole thing. And I don't think that's the case this week. So yeah, let's take some shots and see where it, what happens. And let's at least go down. Let's at least go out there and fire the ball around. And if, if that first half, if it goes really poorly, maybe you, you change things up again. Maybe you do kind of tighten up a little bit, but, but at least try, at least at least push the envelope and see what you've got. Because, like we said, statistically, this Nevada defense is not very good against the pass. They're pretty good against the run, but against the pass, they've proven time and time again to be very susceptible. And frankly, they haven't faced a quarterback as good as Justin Herbert in the last season. And you know, and this week, you know, I mean, there's an opportunity here for I think Herbert to have a great game. I think. I mean, I. And I, I get the logic of, hey, we don't know what we have at receiver. There's not a lot of experience here. We don't want to throw too much at him. We don't want to make mistakes. But you have a quarterback, right, that's a four-year starter that everyone within the program has said is a tremendous player, knows the, you know, the offense by the back of his hand and, you know, his NFL talent and all that. You know, we don't need to go down that path of all the you know, praise that we've heard from Herbert. Let, put the trust in him. Like, hey, we're going to throw the ball a lot, okay? And at the same time, we want to, you to understand that if nothing is open, don't force it into a into a spot where you're going to ask a, you know, a freshman receiver to go up against two DBs. Just throw it away or tuck it and run. Like trust trust your, you know, your superstar quarterback that he'll come out and he'll make the play or he'll make the decision that's needed to be made. If, if there's nothing open, like that's where I fall. Like, don't worry about the younger guys because you've got a guy pulling the trigger at quarterback that can make all the, the tough decisions for you. Yeah, no. And I think, you know, I feel like to a certain extent, Herbert looked to be kind of handcuffed last week. Let's, let's see, let's let it fly. And, uh, right. you know, I'm sure he would love that opportunity as well. All right. Injuries for this football game. Um, I, I, I think. We got some more clarity on a couple guys. We also got some lack of clarity on a few others. <laughs> right. um, and I, I, I think this is the thing here with Mario Cristobal. He, he, and let me preface this. He is incredibly forthcoming, uh, with injury news to the point where I, 
am reminded time and time again of, wow, I did not expect him to, to just come out and say that. You know, I, I go back to the Micah Pittman injury. Um, I, I go back to J.R. Waters injury. Um, you know, th- this camp, Brennan Schooler, this camp, <laughs> fortunately it's all at receiver. Um, right. you know, but, but it, ha- you get, it happened last year too. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say that after Arizona, he voluntarily offered that Dylan Mitchell and Justin Herbert were in concussion protocol. He didn't have to do that. Yeah. So let me say that. So he's very forthcoming. And I think now that we're getting a, a chance to kind of see his tales and, and tells and stuff, um, I think when he, comes out and says like what he did with Cam McCormick and and um, Jawan Johnson this week by saying that, you know, they're close, but it's a toss-up and it's going to be a game day toss-up. When that type of stuff comes out, I think there's legit uncertainty and it's not just a week to week uncertainty. It could be, he could be back this week or it, it could be a three or four week deal. I mean, Cam McCormick has been, he's close to coming back for six weeks now, right? Right, yeah. And I think that's because they don't really know what the extent of the injury is and the timeline of when he can come back because it's very fluid. Not it's not it's not it's not like they don't know, you know, they didn't diagnose McCormick's injury and whatnot, but I think it's one of those deals where look, this literally could be something that he wakes up tomorrow and is totally fine. And then the day after that he wakes up and he can't go. And so I think that creates a lot of uncertainty of when they're going to get guys back. Will Juwan Johnson and Cam McCormick play against Nevada? Um, I'm siding with no. I don't think they are going to play. Yeah, I mean, it's speculative, but I don't think so either. And one thing that Crystal Ball said about McCormick is that he looked pretty good in warm-ups, and that should be an indication that he'll come back, but that this is a tough, you know, a tough injury to kind of determine in terms of when he'll be available and if, if he'll be available this weekend. I think they'll probably be a little bit more conservative due to the opponent they're playing um, in bringing him back. And I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see either of those guys until Stanford, maybe. You know what I mean? I mean, Maybe that's the route they go. And maybe you want to get those guys, I hate to use the word warm-up game, but a game against Montana just to get them out in the field running around in, in game action. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of lean with you on that one. I mean, I obviously, again, we're speculating here, and, and Cristobal was pretty clear it was a toss-up and that, you know, nothing was definitive one way or the other with those two. But I kind of, I wouldn't I wouldn't go into this game expecting those to be available, I think. I think that's what I would say. And, again, that's going to put the pressure on some of these younger guys to fill. And tight ends a position where they, they've got a lot of depth. And I, I don't think not having McCormick really impacted the game against Auburn. Maybe maybe that's short-sighted. But I think Jawan Johnson's absence against Auburn could have been almost a deciding factor in that game. So um, you would like to have both of those guys back. You want to be at 100%, but you also make sure those guys are healthy and those guys are at 100% when they do play. We also got some clarity on a couple other guys, right, in terms of the degrees of when Schooler is going to get back. Also, um, Will Hoyt and um, Waters, right? Yeah, well, Waters is out for the season. Um, we should mention Adrian, it, it, this podcast, I forget if we did this prior, but Adrian Jackson has also been announced out for the season. So is J.R. Waters. So those guys will not play this year. Uh, Jackson's a tough loss because he was a player who looked ready to kind of maybe have a, a breakout season at, at outside linebacker. He'll have to use his redshirt year this year and then come back as a, as a redshirt sophomore, uh, next year, which could, which might not be a bad thing considering they do lose a, a handful of linebackers and maybe that's an opportunity for him to have a little bit more experience. Um, but obviously a rough loss and, yeah, uh, Jared Waters out for the season. Lance Wilhoyt, we hadn't really asked much about him, so I asked Cristobal about this on, on Wednesday, and, and he said, yeah, he's going to be back before the others, <laughs> which is good news, but 
it also didn't sound like it was definitive that he'd be back for, well, he's definitely not coming back this week, it sounded like, and it didn't sound like it was a sure thing he comes back for Montana either. It sounds like, it sounds like they're really eyeing that Stanford game to bring guys like Will Hoyt, Schooler. I don't know if Pittman's even really in the relative possibility, but those kind of guys, it looks like Stanford's kind of the, the best case scenario to have those two guys back right. based upon what was said. And, and that would be a huge, a huge thing where if you go into conference play, at least with, 65% of your, 70% of your weapons at wide receiver fullback. That's, that would be a step in the right direction, at least. All right. We're going to take a quick break, come back. Uh, we'll dive into kind of how Oregon's getting through these injuries at the receiver position and some, you know, guys having to work in different spots, uh, to help the Ducks get through these injuries at the receiver position. We'll be right back as we, uh, play some words from our sponsors. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me, as always, getting you ready for Saturday. Is it afternoon, evening? How do you how do you describe Eric a 4:45 p.m. kickoff? Is that well, I, afternoon in your book, or is that an evening cook, kickoff? Well, I always thought 5 p.m. was like the cutoff for evening. So what is that like? Extremely late afternoon, very, very, <laughs> very, almost. Elmo's evening. I don't know. It's like right on the cusp there. It's a it's a weird time. But yeah, I would say uh I'd say late afternoon. Very late afternoon. The latest afternoon. The latest afternoon. All right. Uh well we're talking Oregon football and before the break we mentioned how is Oregon getting through these receiver injuries and the depth that they have or the lack of it, um, because of all the the guys that are hurt at the at that position. I think most notably it's Spencer Webb, right? Yeah. Moving from tight end to the slot and you threw something up on Twitter this week that was absolutely hilarious of just the height differential between Jalen Red who starts in the slot and Spencer Webb who is now his backup. Yeah, if you, if you, if you think that position requires a certain body type, you're wrong because Jalen Red <laughs> is, I believe, 10 inches and 66 pounds lighter, uh, than, than Spencer Webb who is now his backup in the slot. So, I thought that was really funny because because typically when you do look at that position group, it has been smaller guys there, you know, at least historically when you look at the way Oregon has done it. And uh, Spencer Webb's not a small guy. He's a very large human being. We had a chance to speak with him this week. He's He definitely looks the part when you, you walk up with him. And uh, he did say he's lost some weight. He's kind of cut some weight this last couple of weeks here to get a little bit trimmer so he can run a little faster because I think he added some weight, obviously, to be kind of more of an inline blocker. Um, that's not something he's going to have to do. And, and speaking with him this week, I think Webb, has the potential to be a really big weapon this year because his background in high school is playing kind of more of this situation as a split out tight end rather than being a guy who's, again, who's kind of lined up next to a tackle, um, you know, who, who might be doing more blocking. I think you take advantage of the fact that he's a big athletic guy who can make some plays out in space. And I really wouldn't be shocked at all to see him, you know, especially with these injuries these next couple of weeks to him being like maybe their, their third or fourth option offensively in that passing game where he's, out there a lot, and he was really productive in that game. I don't think he dropped a pass. He made some really good catches. Obviously, the touchdown catch was probably the offensive play of the game. Um, somebody with humongous upside physically, I and mean, he's he's a really athletic guy, you know, with that size. Um, and someone I think you can be really excited about. And one thing that, I, that stood out a little bit from Tuesday was that Arroyo said, you know, they hadn't ruled out even with the guys coming back the possibility of him staying at wide receiver full time. Um, and that speaks to his athleticism and his talent as a pass catcher. And again, maybe this is, you know, I don't want to say it's a blessing in disguise. The injuries aren't because it 
probably cost them. I think it cost them a game, but maybe this is a thing where Spencer Webb just becomes that much more dynamic of an op, you know, a possibility in this passing game because he's thrust into a situation where, you know, coming into the season, we weren't really talking about him. And now he's a guy who maybe ends up being a huge factor offensively. And maybe this is a guy who now down the line, this rest of this season and a couple of years here uh, is a huge part of this offense. And maybe that ends up being a kind of a benefit going forward. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think this is, this fits the design of the program, I guess, under Mario Cristobal, right? Like, Everything we've heard and seen from Mario is that, you know, they want to have a good passing attack, but everything is won in the trenches and is won with a physicality on both sides of the football. Um, and on offense, I, mean, I, I, I think they want to be, and when I, and when I say they want to be a physical power team, that doesn't just mean run. You know, they don't want to run the ball 50 times in a game. You know, I think you can have that mentality at, you know, with a passing attack. And I think Spencer Webb brings a dynamic to the offense that no one else can because he's six foot six and he's listed at darn near 250 pounds. Now he did say that he's gotten down to, you know, 240 or so because of the position change to receiver. And Marcus Arroyo said that they've, you know, they're, they're trying to find the, you know, the, the perfect blend for weight now for him because of the need to, to put him on, you know, the perimeter and, and whatnot in the slot. But, I think Webb presents an opportunity where he's a very big dude and he's pretty athletic. He can catch, you know, pretty much anything because of his, you know, catch radius. And you know what? Like, I, I just think there's this opportunity where, you know, kind of Stanford-esque, like, you know, what they do with their receivers and yeah. just kind of, you know, throw them out on the perimeter, get them in a one-on-one situation, whether it's in the in the red zone or not, and just say, we're going to throw it up. And we're going to ask you to make a play. And it's as simple as that. Like, I, I think that could be a very, very good dynamic to this offense and, and adds an element that no one else can really bring to the table. Maybe Juwan Johnson. Yeah. And, and one thing I mentioned his name earlier, but they, they've kind of talked about Patrick Herbert in the same light. Um, obviously Justin's younger brother, he didn't play, um, against Auburn, but another big athletic guy who, you know, is, is a little bit, of a weapon on the outside if you want to line him up there. So I wouldn't be shocked at all to see Herbert maybe maybe he kind of factors into a little bit in a similar role as what we saw from Spencer Webb last week where, you know, maybe maybe if this is a game against Nevada where, where Oregon does get ahead and, and is able to, to feel pretty confident about their position in, in winning the game where they put Herbert out there in a similar role and let him see what he can do, um, you know. Maybe, maybe we do get a little bit of Herbert to Herbert action this week. You know, that, that's, this, this feels like the first opportunity that we could actually see that. And again, given the injuries and the discussions that, you know, both Arroyo and Cristobal had about maybe using him in that light, I think, I think we kind of thought this was a year where Patrick Herbert wasn't going to play very much and, and certainly not on the field with his brother very much. Maybe because of the injuries, this is a thing where we do see Patrick Herbert in a similar role to Spencer Webb out there. And, and he does go out and make some plays with his brother, which would be a, which would be a cool story, obviously. Um, but that, you know, that's another, another name in kind of the same body type, um, that, that could step up. And Chris Paul did mention that Matt Mariota, younger brother of Marcus, who's feels like he's been here forever, um, is a possible guy that you could also see out there, you know, playing a little bit at wide receiver. He's not quite as big as the other two guys, but he's six foot two, I think 205 or 210 pounds. He's a bigger guy. So that could be an option. And then obviously, uh, you, you run down the line. It's going to be an all hands on deck kind of situation. Everyone that's healthy and played in the first game. And then guys like JJ Tucker and Isaiah Crocker, who were both 
uh, Crocker was a pretty highly rated recruit, and maybe this is an opportunity for him, who's been really quiet so far in his Oregon career. Maybe he has an opportunity to play, but maybe, again, David Davis, a guy I mentioned earlier, he's transitioned back from defensive back. Maybe he gets an opportunity. You know, I, I think uh, Davis, you know, I wrote a story about him. He was very unselfish in moving back from defensive back, you know, to, to try to help the team. So maybe they rely on those guys. I don't know. But it's going to be very interesting to see, I think, kind of what that rotation looks like, who the kind of key parts of it. And I, I anticipate, like I said earlier, that Webb is going to be a pretty good-sized part of the offense. Cristobal said something like, and we're going to expand his role. I think we will see an expanded role um, tomorrow against Nevada. Real quick, on the fly here. Uh-oh. Um, Oregon was, re- was led last last week um, in reception yards by junior Johnny Johnson. He caught a career-high seven catches for a career-high 98 yards. Jalen Red also had a career-high nine catches for a career-high 64 yards. Um, are you thinking those two guys are Oregon's top two receivers in this game against Nevada, or does somebody else crack into the top two, or does – Two two new entirely different players crack into the top two and lead the team in receptions. Like, do you think it's going to be as dominant with those two guys, or do we see maybe a couple more guys make some bigger plays and and you know there's maybe four or five guys that have really big numbers? It, in my mind, some of that's going to be dependent upon the way the game plays because I think if Oregon does get ahead early, I think we'll see those guys Johnson and Red maybe not play as much in the second half or, or even maybe in the first half. I don't think they're going to get ahead in the first half to the point where they won't play those guys. I think that's that seems really far-fetched and optimistic, but I could see a scenario where those guys are the, the go-to. I think those are going to be the go-to receivers until everybody gets back, you know, especially early in the games. I think those are, and, and Jacob Breland's probably the third guy that's really reliable out there. But I wouldn't be surprised if this is a game where maybe Oregon does open it up, and maybe it is in that second half. It's a Spencer Webb or, or it's a Josh Delgado or a Brian Addison that really becomes a focal point of the passing offense, and they play a big game. But, yeah, I, I think if this game is closer – I expect those two guys to be the focal points. I didn't see anything in that first game and that leads me to believe they would go away from those guys. I thought, again, Johnson was awesome in that game. And anybody, you know, he took a lot of crap last year. He dropped some passes. He, frankly, wasn't a very good player last year. He was really, really, really good in that game and deserves a lot of credit. And I think they'll continue to go to him. And Jalen Red last year didn't drop as many passes, but, you know, he's an undersized guy. It's hard to know how they're going to use him. I thought they did a good job of utilizing his, his skill set, which is his speed. In, the, in you know in the screen game and I would expect to see quite a bit of that again. So I do think those guys when the game is competitive will be the primary guys, but I could see a scenario here where this one does open up a little bit where somebody else jumps in and maybe leads the team in receptions again. Last week I I said Josh Delgado was going to be the one to score uh, as a true freshman to score a touchdown. He didn't do it. I still think he's the guy to kind of keep an eye out for. I could see him having if there's the opportunity uh, making some plays because he is talented. We've been impressed with what we've seen from him in the past. Webb had five targets, three catches against Auburn. I think that that target number goes up to more like seven or eight. Yeah. And I right. think yeah. he catches maybe five or six passes. So I, I, I think it wouldn't surprise me if Webb maybe finishes the game with like five catches for 50 yards, but he has two touchdowns because they get in the red zone and they throw it up to him. Yeah, and that's something I'd love to see them do a little bit more of is when they get in the in the red zone is to throw it up to those big guys. And not that they didn't do it necessarily last. I mean, because Webb caught a touchdown that I guess technically was in the red zone because they're at the 20. Um, but I, I would like to see them use that size a little bit more because that was something that it seemed like was 
a benefit at times in, in that game. You know, maybe players weren't able to get separation against Auburn's defensive backs, but the size seemed like it was an advantage. I like to go, like to see them go back that way, especially in the red zone against the, the Nevada defense, which is we mentioned is seems to be susceptible and also just isn't very big if you look at the body types. All right, this game also is going to feature um, some Sewell brothers, right? Oregon's Penne Sewell uh, matching up against Nevada's and Penne Sewell's older brother, Gabriel, at linebacker. Um, just a, a really, I think, very, very rare do you see two brothers play against each other. Very, very rare do you see the two brothers when they play, they both they both will be on the football field at the same time. And quite honestly, there's going to be chance, you know, there's going to be uh, more than a handful of plays where they're going to go up against each other. Yeah, I mean, uh, Gabe Sewell is an outside linebacker, and Penny Sewell plays left tackle. And given that, there's a chance those guys are going to be going against each other a fair amount. Um, and, and it will be. I think Christopher said it right. He said that those guys aren't going to be playing patty cake. There's no concern that those guys are going to be. Uh, you know, not aggressive against each other because they're brothers. He said those guys have probably had more violent, you know, collisions and in, in-home in wrestling than than a lot of these guys have ever had on the football field. So I, I would expect them to be out there and, and not to see them like take it easy on each other. And I think, frankly, it's going to be really fun if there are some moments where where one of them gets the better of the other and to talk about that with them after the game. What was it like uh, to to go against your brother in a game like that and, and to to pancake block him or to beat Penne and and make a tackle? Um, uh, it's a cool scenario. And we should mention there's a third brother that's going to be there not playing, but at least watching, right, Matt? Yeah, from a recruiting standpoint, um, there'll be a couple guys on campus um, for Oregon for from a recruiting perspective. None of them are taking official visits, but um, the big one's going to be five-star uh, Noah Sewell, and he will be on campus. He's the youngest of the Sewell brothers. There's like four of them, I believe, Um there's another one that that's going to be playing football at Utah. He's redshirting this year after transferring from Nevada. Yeah. Um, so we almost had a game where there was two defensive brothers against Penne Sewell at Oregon. Uh, but yeah, Noah Sewell will be on campus for an unofficial visit. Um, his parents, he's obviously coming with his parents who will be, uh, you know, watching this game, you know, from I, that's got to be tough, right? Like you've got a senior playing his last football game. And he, you know, you want to see him, you know, continue to make the climb up and, you know, have that program go out in, in style and nothing would be bigger than, you know, Nevada coming into Eugene and pulling off, you know, a second straight upset for, for their, you know, first two weeks of the season. But at the same time, that would basically ultimately crush, you know, Penne Sewell's, you know, goals for, for the 2019 football season at Oregon because that would deliver two losses. So being in the Sewell household this week's probably got to be a little conflicting, right? Well, the good thing is you're you're going to leave the stadium with one of your kids winning a game, right? Yeah. But you're also going to get leave the stadium knowing that one of your kids is going to lose the game. So it's there's gonna, <laughs> you know there's a push pull of it, and, and I imagine it's going to be a one of the stranger football games that those guys have ever you know watched as parents because I'm this is the first time that they're. You know, they've, they've used to having these kids play together in high school. Both we mentioned earlier that uh, Gabe and I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Nefi, who was uh, played for Nevada last year, those guys played together for a handful of years. Yeah, they're used to having these guys play on the same team, and it's a win-loss together thing. I imagine it will be challenging to juggle the support of "Hey, good job, you won this game," but also the "Hey, I'm sorry, that was a tough loss" mentality of it, because there is, like we said, one's got to win, one's got to lose, and obviously. 
Oregon fans are hoping Panay comes out on top, but I'm sure that there's going to be a little bit of conflict of interest for both for the entire Sewell family on this one. All right, let's get to our picks. Um, you go first. How do you how do you feel like this game's going to play out? Been going back and forth. I think Oregon wins regardless. I'm not considering predicting Oregon's going to lose. I, I just think they're too talented, and, and I just again I didn't see anything against Auburn that leads me to believe this team is like significantly worse than I thought they'd be. I think defensively at least they showed that they were really good and I think they're going to win this game I go back and forth of how dominant it's going to be um, before the season started I predicted Oregon would win 48 to 20 I don't think it's going to be quite that lopsided maybe but I do think they're going to cover so I, I think the game is Ooh. going to be uh, slightly lo- less high scoring than I predicted previously but I think Oregon's going to win I'll say 38 14. So it's a barely cover. Um, and Oregon goes out, and I think they are going to lead from start to finish. I think they're going to be up something similar to the Auburn game where they're up 14 to 6 or 17 to 6 in the first half, something like that. Um, and then hold, you know, and then just kind of the second half, it's more of just getting guys out there, holding on to a victory and moving on with, with hopefully, you know, uh, no more injuries, uh, you know, to a game against Montana. I think that, but I'm going to go with something like 38 14. I think Oregon leads throughout, like you. Yeah. I, I'm expecting their um, – I'm not expecting a hangover. I think this team's going to come out. They're going to play pretty angry. Um, they're going to come out, and they're going to play really well right out of the gate. And this team's going to – you know, this team's going to look very, very good. I also think Nevada is better than what many people anticipated or expected outside right. of the Oregon program. My – myself included in that group of I didn't think Nevada was going to be very good. Um, I don't, I, I, so I think what's going to happen is Oregon's going to jump out to this, you know, 42 to, to 14 type game and yeah. they're going to cover the spread and, you know, and then in the fourth quarter, Oregon's going to put their, their second and third and fourth string guys in. Nevada's going to, you know, keep, most of their first and second string guys and into the game because they want to keep getting better and keep getting good looks and put together a couple final drives. And I think we're going to see a backdoor cover from Nevada where in that fourth quarter they maybe score two or three touchdowns or, you know, two or three scoring drives and they just barely cover it. So I'm thinking it's going to be something of the nature of like 49-28. Like Oregon looks really good throughout. If you didn't catch the game, oh, wow, you know, Oregon – Oregon only won by 21 points. That, that's kind of surprising. Um, but in reality, you know, the score is not indicative of where these two teams were at. Yeah, I think we both kind of have a similar feeling about the way this game goes. I think Oregon is going to be – I think, again, I agree with you. I think they're going to come out fired up, and I think they're going to take a lead early. And I think the second half is going to be a, a half or it's never in question, but maybe it does get slightly more close, although I think they're going to cover at, at 38 to 14. All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Lots and Audibles podcast. Thanks for listening. Uh, for Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Prang, we will talk to you on the other side of Oregon versus Nevada. Check for a podcast sometime Saturday night or Sunday morning. Thanks, guys. Adios, amigos.